It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. I'd like to open your Bibles this morning to Judges, the sixth chapter. Judges, chapter six. I want to look at a passage here, the first six verses. Judges, chapter six. When you have it, say, Amen. Amen. All right, that's uh, got a couple that have that. Some of Judges is back there where the pages are stuck together. Or your, maybe your smartphone hasn't opened up there yet. And uh, the very first verse of Judges chapter 6, it says, again, everybody say again. again. And again, <laughs> is what we should say, and again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of the Midianites was so, expre- uh, uh, so op- oppressive The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Let's pray together. Father, help us to catch an important principle in this passage of Scripture today that uh, we need to be careful, that we need to be serving you, or you just will lift your hand and the enemy comes in like a flood Uh, Lord, help us to realize, too, that there are things to do. There's a harvest to get, and that we need to be not hiding out in caves, but we need to be out getting that harvest and and producing it, reaping it, and, and, um, Lord, enjoying that harvest now. So we commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to come up. I've asked them to come up here and put a a line on this side and a line on this side of the, uh, the front here. You know, I've been hearing something in my spirit this week from the Holy Spirit, and he's been saying, uh, step over the line. Step over the line. So I've been thinking, okay, what what line do I need to step on? I'm thinking, you know, so I'm looking in myself, you know, and asking the Lord, okay, you know, uh, what do you want me to do? Step over the line. Step over the line. So, you know, halfway through the week, I'm realizing, you know, this is for, not only for me, but this is for our church. And, uh, you know, as I begin to look at uh, things, I thought about the line in the sand, drawing a line in the sand, and that, that phrase, I'm sure m- many of you have heard that. And so I looked up the thing about, um, y- you know, just this thought. And there's, there's two thoughts to drawing this line or, or a line. First of all, there's, it's a point which either physically or um, decisionally, uh, it's a point that you won't cross. In other words, you know, uh, that's where I draw the line. You know, I, I'm, I won't go that far. You know, I, that's where I draw the line. Not in, no further, no further. The other thing is it's a point that once you have decided to cross it, that uh, you've got to realize that that decision's been made and all the resulting consequences uh, are permanently decided and irreversible. In other words, you step over the line, there's no turning back. Have you heard that? You know, I'm stepping over the line. I'm all in. There's no turning back. 
Of course, the most famous, and especially for us here in Texas, is the Alamo. But maybe some of those that are listening to us in all these various countries don't know the story about the Alamo. But as you recall, that um, early March in 1836, that uh, there was some men that was gathered in the Alamo, and Santa Ana gathered, and so he sent a messenger into the to the Alamo and said that need to surrender, you know, leave, put down everything, get out of here if you don't. There will be no quarters. You, everyone will be killed. So you need to leave. Colonel William Travis read that letter. So he went out into the courtyard there. He had, had all everybody that was part of the Alamo, he had them assemble. He took out a sword. He went down and he drew a line. He took that line all the way across. And then he read the letter that Santa Ana had sent in. And basically what he said was, Here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to fight. He said, any man that will join me, step over the line. And that's where we get that, step over the line. And they knew when they stepped over the line that it was all in. There was no going back. You're all in. It's fight. You know, it's not flight. It's fight. Every man in the Alamo that day stepped across the line except for one. You know, Jim Bowie was there. David Crockett was there. Many famous people that we know uh, were there. And... Um, one man stepped, didn't go, I, reasons for his family or something like that, but he also was able to tell the story. When they stepped across that line, they knew that that was it. This, this is the end, but we're going to go down fighting. You know, people, uh, that takes a strong commitment. It takes a strong commitment when you realize there's, there's no turning back. That there's no more words, no more talk. Um, it's time to fight. I, I remember when I was about... 17, 18 years old, I was at a camp meeting in Topeka, Kansas. And God so got a, got a hold of me, and it was kind of like, that's what he was saying. Let me tell you, he was like, all right, enough is enough. It's time for you to commit. Time for you to step over the line. Are you with me, or are you not with me? Is what he was basically saying. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying to me. And boy, I tell you what, I fell on my knees and I began to think of all of what life had ahead of me, all my plans that I had for my life and what I was going to do. I was going to go into college and be an architect and all this stuff. I had it all lined out. I remember kneeling there and time began to click away. Band stopped playing. Everybody started leaving. Lights went out. And I stayed there. And it was tough. You know, decisions to step over the line, they're not an easy decision. And I remember about 2 o'clock in the morning saying, Lord, if I have to stay here all night, I'm going to stay here until I'm sure of what's going to happen when I get up. And that was the night that I committed my life to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm stepping over the line. I didn't know at that time everything that the Lord would have for us. I didn't know that he would call us to leave a job that I had at that time and a and, uh, good job that Sandy had. You know, uh, we were making well over in today's in today's money, well over $100,000, around $150,000 probably was what our annual income was, was. We were married, built a new house, had two new cars, everything furnished uh, because we had real good jobs. And, um, you know, I never thought about that, I guess. When the Lord began to deal with my heart, when he said step over the line, I said, okay. And I, I had to lay all that down. You know, not always does that mean the same thing it meant in my life. But, well, it does in the sense of like, you know, I'm ready to lay it all down. I'm ready to step over whatever it takes. I'm all in. I'm fully committed. To some, 
God then takes you and he makes entrepreneurs. He makes, you know, people very successful in the business field so that they can be able to be givers into the kingdom of God to advance missions and, and advance the, the, the word of God. You know, he makes me like a dreamer and then he makes dream makers, you know. And did you know you can't have, neither one will be successful. If God's called you to be a dream maker, you can't make dreams if you don't have somebody that dreams the dreams. If you're a dreamer, your dreams won't come true unless God supplies somebody to help make those dreams. God just does that because he doesn't have any long rangers. You know, we're in this thing together and he wants us to know that we are interdependent. You know, the three stages of life are dependent, independent, and interdependent. A lot of times we don't realize that. We know that the baby, a baby is dependent upon the mom to do everything and, you know, they grow up and they're dependent. But how many of you know when that child goes from being a dependent to independent, that independent stage? And then when we just like to lock them away in a room, you know, with a little hole and shove food to them, you know, until they, <laughs> they grow up and come out, right? That's the tough time because they're wanting to be independent. They're trying to find and discover who they are. And, and with their peers, they, they don't know for sure how to wear their hair, what clothes to wear, this and that, and trying to discover and establish an identity, independent. You know, the sad thing is that many adults and many of you sitting here have never got out of that independent stage. We want our independence so we can do what we want to do. You know, I can be who I want to be. Tired of being told what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, the ultimate goal and the way that God's designed us to be interdependent. I need you, you need me. You know, the, the ear needs the eye, the eye needs the nose, everybody needs the feet, you know. I mean, that's what the, the Bible t- tells us is that we're all interdependent. You know, if we stay in that independent stage and we won't step over the line and commit because we've got things to do on our own. We've got our life to live, you know. Um, so we have to be careful. And so what the Holy Spirit is saying, and what I sense that he's saying to the body of Christ today is step over the line. Step over the line. We don't like that, do we? I remember when I was in the Air Force, they brought us in. We were a um, strategic air command. And uh, so they're on the base, and all of a sudden they come in and said, uh, okay, you, 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 you know, you need to go out to the um, parade ground or whatever it was and, and line up. And so looking around, there was probably about two or 300 of us out there. And so uh, and then they line us up. And this is during just the last phases of the Vietnam War. You know, our hearts are going like this. And I mean, this is some serious stuff. And uh, commanding officer walks out in front. And he says, gentlemen, he said, your mission has changed. He says, we're now an air defense command. Or, or I don't know if he told us that at first or not. He says, um, you know, you, you need to report today. Get up on your shots. You'll need to go to the rifle range. Make sure you're qualified. On, we're going, whoa, wait a minute. Shots? Qualified on the rifle? I mean, what does that say to you? So we're, I mean, we're like going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So he begins to go all through this, and I mean, it's a serious time. Nobody's saying anything. This is a time where there's going to be like, hey, you know, I guess we're all in this thing. We're in this. Because when you're in the military, you don't, own, you don't belong to yourself anyway. You belong to them, and that right, darling? You know, you just, you're, you're all theirs. But so he's telling us all this, and so then he says, uh, we've changed our direction. We are now an air defense command. We're like, Air defense, air defense, air defense. What is air defense, you know? We didn't ever heard of air defense, but that defense in there, you know, we're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to defend something, <laughs> you know, and let's be ready. And so he, he says, and uh, we're changing our aircraft. He said, we're getting the B-57G models, and 
Now, I don't know what, I didn't know what a B-57G was. And, and so he says, but, so he sits there for a second. He says, but don't get nervous unless they, and this was at Forbes Air Force Base in Topeka, Kansas. He said, unless they declare war on Wichita, which is the Richard Gabauer Air Force Base. He said, unless they declare war on Wichita, you ain't going nowhere. He said, they've been sitting six weeks for the winds to get right so that they can move them on over to the next island. We're going... What? <laughs> you know what? Spent the rest of my time ordering boost pumps for B-57G airplanes there in Topeka, Kansas. But, you know, there was a serious time. And, you know, it's all going through your mind like, what's happening next? What's happening next? And this is, you know, the life as I've known it is over. And, well, I guess we're here and we're all in and we're out here. And so we're, you know, let's go. The next steps. That's a scary time in your life when things change from the way it's been to where it's going to be. When, and, you know, whether you like it or not, things change. Sandy's been pulling some pictures. I helped her a little bit on some of them. We're celebrating 40th year of preaching. Been in the ministry longer than that. Looking back at those pictures, I'm thinking, what in the world? Wow. Where's the time gone, you know? And crazy. And of some of the things when we were traveling around singing, we had more crazy shots than we had serious shots. We were looking for one where we had a suit on. We were trying to sing. But most of them, we were taking pictures. We were just crazy, you know, just having fun. And, and, but, you know, one of the things I realized is, my goodness, how things change. And sometimes we don't think that they've changed, but things change. You can't keep things from changing. It's like one person said, the only constant thing in life is change because it's always going to change. So as things change, people, we need to realize that, okay, what do I need to do to be, you know, here with the Lord as things change? What's God doing now? What's he going to, what is he going to do? Because if you don't make those decisions, it's going to happen, and you're going to find yourself standing out there like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, trying to wonder what is happening and what's going to happen next. Like we were standing out on that parade ground and getting a new, new definition to our, our military career and stuff like that. So things happen. Things change. And what I hear the Holy Spirit saying is it's time to step over the line. You know, we're at this point. We've come this far, and it's either step over the line or you're going to get run over. Because the thing about it is that, you know, in war situations and stuff, it's, it is either fight or flight. And what I've found most of the time in the spiritual realm is when we flight, the devil, he catches up with us and, and messes with us anyway, you know? And so what I've learned over my lifetime of spiritual warfare and various things is I'd rather be, you know, sold out to God Know that he's on my side. I don't want to be like the Israelites where it says, and again they disobeyed the Lord, and the Midianites came upon them. Because the devil will come upon you, and he'll put everything on you he can. And when he thinks he's got you down a little bit more, he'll try to put you down a little bit more. And a little further, so he can just put his foot over on you and hold you down. And there's a lot of believers that are like that. Either they're living in fear of what's going to happen next, or they're just living such a, a, a life for themselves that the devil just like, oh, well, I don't even need to mess with them. You know, they're going to create enough problems as their own. Because it says here that, that the Lord allowed those things to happen. It's not a way to live. It's not a way to live a victorious life. And this year we're talking about living this victorious life. So stepping over the line uh, meant that you were committed, fully committed, 100% committed. Reminds me of the, the chicken and the pig that was walking down the street, you know. They were just hanging out. It's like chickens and pigs always hang out. And they're just as long, and the chicken says, hey, man, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And the pig says, yeah, I'm pretty hungry myself. And he says, well, what are you thinking about? He says, well, hey, how about we just, uh, together, we, we have uh, ham and eggs. And the pig looks at him, and he said, the chicken says, well, so what's the matter? And he says, hey, man, for you, that's a contribution. 
For me, it's total commitment. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes there's a difference between contribution and total commitment because a lot of times, you know, we just kind of get in our mind as a Christian that we'll come when we want to come because we're in this independent stage. We'll come when we want to come and we'll do what we want to do. Hey, every once in a while, we'll make a contribution. But don't be talking about this commitment stuff. Now, I remember when we first got this building, this facility, and there weren't any walls here. I've told this story before. I was walking, back, walking through the walls. We did have this one framed up. We had some metal studs up through here. And I'm, I'm walking through walls. You can tell people, man, our pastor walked through walls. <laughs> just didn't have any sheetrock on it. And so I was walking. I was just, just, just you know, feeling so sorry for myself. Lord. You know, people just, they get mad at me. They don't like it, you know, like the way I preach. And, and it's, you know, so t- sometimes it's just hard in this, you know, just the, the word and the message. And it's like he just stopped me <laughs> with this. And he says, I didn't call you to preach con- convenience. I called you to preach commitment. And I'm going, okay. And I'm thinking, is that good or bad? I'm thinking, okay, well, you know what? I, I got to be obedient to what God calls me to preach. But, you know, people don't like to hear this commitment message. It's easier just to go someplace, and the Bible talks about there in in Timothy, having itching ears, you know, and and drawing to ourselves teachers that we love. And and it's like putting on a tape or a CD or something and listen to that message. Oh, I like that message. It really pumps me up. You know, so we like to listen to that. Well, that's good, but the thing is, is we're we're picking and choosing what we want. You know, when I got mad in church when Sandy and I was, we married a couple of years, and I think what it was, we actually had started singing in this, uh, in our, in this singing group, and uh, we sang, you know, and, and afterwards, I remember this guy came up to me, and he'd been in, the, he'd been in that church forever, and he came come up to me, and he just kind of had this scowl on his look, and he says, you know, when you're up there smiling when you're singing, you're just, uh, you know, you're making people feel bad or something like that, and I'm thinking, I'm like stunned, I'm and uh, I said, really? He goes, yeah. He says, you know, people are, not everybody's having a good time. Not everybody's going through good things in life. I mean, some people are having some problems. And when you're just smiling up there, he says, it makes it, you know, and, I'm, and then I really didn't really hear what he was saying. I was just like so confused. And, and I go, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I won't smile. I thought, I didn't even know I was smiling. <laughs> I, I guess it was just natural. That's why I think that's what I told him. I, I didn't realize I was smiling. I didn't want to offend anybody. I, I guess it just happened. You know, he goes, well, don't let it happen. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, I, you know, went home. And, and uh, so the next day I went to work and I was building houses at this time in, in construction by this time. And so I remember that morning starting out and we were putting up some siding and I had some little number eight uh, nails, galvanized nails and a 20-ounce 20, 20 hammer. And I was like, you know, wow. I need to be careful about, you know, smiling when I sing. It's, it's just not good. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. And I, Who does he think he is anyway? <laughs> Telling me not to smile when I sing. Who in the world is this guy thinking? I mean, by the end of the day, I walked in the house. And he was in the house, and I said, I come in. She says, well, hello, how are you now? I says, we're, moving, we're leaving that church. We're never going back. Just a bunch of hypocrites in there. And I'm going, she's like, well, what's wrong with you? Well, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just everybody in that church. That's what's wrong. That's, she said, well, I think you need to go take a shower and, and cool down. And I, Well, I'm not going to cool down, you know. And so I just decided, well, I could just stay home. And I could turn on who I wanted to turn on on the television and listen to the music I wanted to listen to, listen to the preaching that I wanted to listen to. That's what I'm going to do. Well... You know what happened next? 
I wasn't going to church. And then we started going to clubs and started doing this and started doing that because we're doing what, what we want to do, you know, what, what feels good to us, you know. And I wasn't turning on the TV for nothing other than maybe football or something like that. I wasn't watching anybody preach, you know. might have happened once, but that was about it. And pretty soon you begin to just drift further and further and further away. And then the Midianites come in, and they start to oppress and start to put you down. And then you call on the Lord, right? Oh, Lord, help us. Help yourself. You got into this mess. <laughs> Have you ever heard the Lord tell you that? I didn't tell you to do that. So what are you going to do? Well, so it's time to repent. Confess our sins. Yes, I did it. I'm stupid. I know I, I shouldn't have done that. I knew I was rebelling, and so we ask him to forgive us, and he does. Thank God for his grace. He forgives us. <laughs> and then we repent, which is we turn. We make a complete 180, and we don't go that way anymore. That's what repentance is. And it's not looking back. Jesus said, no man puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Because if you're, especially those old plows, but if you're trying to plow, and you're like... Oh, my line was over there. You ever mow? You know, I, I started mowing when I was, when you could push a lawnmower like this, you know. And uh, my dad, he'd, he'd ran tractors. He, you know, he planted, he harvested stuff. And so, man, I mean, a straight line was really important to him, really important to him. And so I learned to pick out a spot, and you follow that spot. And later on, driving a tractor or whatever, you pick out a spot out there. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, you get your spot and you look at the spot and you know what? You got a straight line. Jesus said, no man puts his hand to the plow and then looks back. Why? Because you, you, you're not concentrating on what you're doing. You're thinking about something else. You're not thinking about, you know, plowing. You're not thinking about what your job is or what you're supposed to be doing. You're thinking about what's back there. What else could I be doing? You know, what else is going on? You know, so we need to have our mind in this thing. We need to set ourselves and we need to... to commit. We need to step over the line. And when we step over the line, that means commitment. You know, there's a, there's a lot of invisible lines in, in our lives around us. You know, there's that line that goes from water to ice. Or on the other hand, there's this invisible line that goes from water to steam. You know what I'm talking about? You know, there's that line that, uh, where speed catches up with sound and then you break the sound barrier. And now they have the thing where they've, they broke broken the, the speed of light with uh, something in a certain situation. 180,000 miles. How many is the speed of light? 180,000 miles a second? 186,000 miles a second. You know, boom. I mean, and they've broken that. They did it a few years back in a certain, uh, you know, an environment. It's amazing. You, they broke that barrier. It used to be that, you know, a mile, you couldn't run faster than a four-minute mile. But one day, somebody broke that barrier and got into the three-minute mile. You know, so there's always barriers. You know, there's the gender barrier when it seemed like that women weren't allowed to participate in the work field. Now look at what, what's going on. There was a color barrier that they called it where there was really discrimination and civil rights. And, you know, Rosa Parks broke that barrier, didn't she, when she stepped on that bus and, you know what, I can sit just like anybody else. That's, sure, you break those barriers and barriers are to be broken. And, uh, you know, there's all these things of the, that we step over and we break that barrier and we step over into something that's new. And God's saying, come on, it's time to step over the line. It's time to step over the line because there's something greater out here than what's back there. But when we step over this line, people, it's 100% commitment. And that's what we don't like. 
You know, there's that line between spectator and participator, right? And a lot of people in church, they're glad to be in that category of just being a spectator. You know, we don't want to rock the boat don't, or don't, don't rock my boat. You know, I got my boat, you know, set just the way I want it. Don't be rocking my boat, you know, right? That's why a lot of times people would rather go to a, such a large church if nobody knows if they come or if they go, right? I know what you're talking, you know, I know. Because it's just kind of like I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want anybody telling me or whatever. It, uh, look, I don't, we don't take role here. Don't get nervous if you see me in Walmart. You don't have to, you don't have to tell me why this or that happened. And sometimes I feel so bad. I'm like, oh, no. You know, I know they met and, and somebody was sick. I know that's a good reason. It's no big deal. And, and I'm thinking, you know, and sure enough, like, oh, hi, Pastor. Oh, you know what? I, I'm so, so we were going to be at church. That's okay. It's okay. It's, it's cool. You, know, you don't have to tell, tell him. You don't have to tell me. You know, I just preach. You know, I just, you know, I'm like the mailman. I just deliver, you know, I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. He writes it. You know, you talk to him about it. But sometimes, you know, we know in our lives what's, what's happening and when it's us and when it's not us. We, go, we need to go from spectator to participator, but sometimes we don't like to do that. It's easier to sit in the stands and pick out everything wrong about the people who are out there working their rear ends off, right? That's what they said, you know, about a football team. You know, they interviewed the coach. Uh, he w- had all these wins, and they, what's the success? What, you know, what has football contributed to America? And he says, absolutely nothing. Well, that will ruin your interview right there, won't it? What? He said, well, it's all backwards. And they said, I mean, interviewer is just totally lost now. All backwards. Yeah. It says, we got 22,000 people in the stands that need exercise and 22 men on the field that need, need a rest. And he says, and it's all backwards, you know. Isn't that true? But we want to sit back and we want, to, we want to tell everybody how they should do something, but we don't get involved. Uh-oh, come on now. Let's get back here to stepping over the line. Get back to stepping over the line. You know, um, it's, it's a time that we can't be half-hearted. You can't be half-baked. You can't be half-in, half-out, you know. It's not a matter of like, you know, it's not a hokey-pokey, you know, right foot in and right foot out, right? That's not how you step over the line, you know. You know, they, the guy died. Y'all heard the guy that wrote hokey-pokey died, and, but they couldn't get him buried because every time they shut the door, he right leg goes out and the right foot. I'm just seeing if y'all are awake this morning. They put his right hand in and he threw his right hand out. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> help me. <laughs> but, you know, stepping over the line is a time that you declare uh, yourself to be committed. It's, it's a time that you, uh, it's a time for making your calling and your election sure. It's the way that the Apostle Paul said, it's time to step over the line. Uh, you know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, this is what Jesus said, and, and I gave reference to it a while ago. He says, no man puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Or he says, uh, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we need to think about that. How many times have we made a commitment to the Lord and then we're always looking back like, you know, it's, it's like uh, Lot, Lot's wife. You know, they were, they came out of there, they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but she, what was she doing? She was looking back. She was looking back, like thinking about everything she might be leaving and, you know, was it really going to happen? Is, could I go back? Could I go back to that? I don't know of anything I want to go back to. I don't know, amen. I don't know of anything I want to go back to. You can't keep this line that we need to keep with the Lord. We can't walk with him and be looking back, trying to think about everything that we lost. You know, uh, 
that's just a person that doesn't have their mind uh, directed on the things of the Lord. And, and uh, it always the things of the world is always distracting. And uh, always it would shows that we have a divided interest. You know, we wanna, we're interested in that, and yet we're, we're trying to be interested here. And Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You know, and then he says, you can't serve God and money. He gives that reference. Because a lot of times it's, we're thinking about what, and what it mean, what's in it for me. You know, and so we have this divided interest. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, here's another thing that Jesus was saying. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Amen. It's either an amen or an oh me. You know? <laughs> he said, if, if anyone would come after me, if, if you're going to be my disciple, he's not talking about salvation here, he's talking about being a disciple. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, he says, um, then you must deny yourself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you want to, like, you want to try to keep all this stuff, that's what you're going to lose. And he says, um, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus said, you know what, uh, the birds, they have their nests and all those different things. He says, uh, you need to have, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about that. Anything you need can be added to you. You know, the things that I thought I left behind, I remember it wasn't a few years after that that they went bankrupt. I wouldn't have had a job, you know, and different things like that. As I look back, and I'm like, wow, God, you're so smart. You know, like we need to tell him that, you know, you know. I mean, he could see that before I did, but it was like, are you going to hang on to this? Because if you do, you're going to end up losing it anyway. The things that I, you know, we thought that we needed to hang on to. And so he says that, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going, uh, going to come in, in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. You know, a day's coming. A day's coming for what we, what we do for the Lord. He said, you know, we need to follow him. We need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, what our, our calling is, what our purpose is, and then follow him, follow him, and uh, let him direct our lives. He has our purpose already lined out for us anyway. Before the foundation of the world, he designed us. He designed us. And, you know, a lot of times we think that the things that we're laying down, you know, and we're surrendering so much, and, and it's just so hard to, to release that. It's amazing how that somewhere up here God intersects with us, and he brings to us so much more, exceedingly abundantly, above all that we're able to ask or think. And along with it, the way to handle those things. You know, it reminds me, when I played football, I was a wide receiver. And so, you know, I had to trust that it would run that route, get that route run, and whenever I made that cut over, that, that ball was going to be there. You know, in, in serving the Lord, it's like, okay, God tells me which way to go. Okay, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to run. I'm going to run, and I'm going to be where you tell me to be. And it's amazing when you get to that point that he just delivers exactly what you need at the right time. That connection makes it all succeed. You know, if not, we're out here running. You know, well, if I go over here and just run around like, okay, I'm like playing street football or something. Bounce it off the car. I'll get it. You know, <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, there's a plan. God has a plan. And we need to hook up with that. And when we do, he makes that connection. That wherever we are at that time in our life, he will make that connection. But you know, it's sad to say that many times, most of the time, the majority of the time, that that line is a line that many Christians never, never cross. You know, they might go to church and might sing and shout just a little bit. Even uh, maybe speak in tongues and dance about, as they say. 
Um, but you can do all those things and never cross the line. Did you know that? Because it's just happening here. It's just here, you know, for us around here to see. It's really not a commitment. It's just uh, something that we do. And, and, you know, there's, it's a time to step over the line. The devil doesn't matter. He don't care if you, you know, sing, shout, have a little fun in church. He don't matter. He don't care as long as you keep it inside here. As long as it's right inside here, he don't care. But now don't be taking it out that door. In 1992, uh, I heard there were some pastors up, at, uh, up in Houston, and um, they were, called, they were uh, uh, called to pray and uh, take a stand and pray about some things. And so uh, I'd been in Topeka at a revival and come back, and so I thought, well, I'm going to go up there and just hang out with these guys, see what's up. And, uh, man, there's a big crowd there, and county deputies and everything's around. And uh, so they gathered over. When you all the pastors to come over? And like, there's about probably 60 or 70 pastors. And so I kind of stand in the back and said, we need a pastor to lead all these people in prayer. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm thinking, I'm just, this is my first day here. These guys have been here and we'll see who's going to step up. And We need a pastor to lead all these people in prayer today. And I'm like, okay, who's going to step up? Uh, Ron Aronson was with me. Terry, your dad was with me that day. And, and so they asked again. I'm thinking, well, I said, well, I, I'll lead in prayer. Okay. So then they get over. Now, you know, Judge Eileen O'Neill, she's got this injunction that says, so, what? <laughs> and, and, you know, you're not supposed to be praying. We can't be doing this. We can't, all this stuff we can't be doing. I'm like, then I started to think a little bit of righteous indignation rose up and said, wait a minute. Somebody going to tell me I can't pray? And that we can't pray? I just happened to have a, that little book, The Constitution, in my back pocket. And I pulled it out and looked at some things and how we have a right to a solemn assembly. So it came time to lead these people in prayer. The, Probably three or four hundred people standing out there. Here's the street, and here's that uh, county sheriff had that injunction in his hand, and he's walking out there, you know, and he's in, you know, I can't pass this line. There's an injunction right here. So I stepped out in the street, and I said, well, we're, we're going to assemble. He's looking at me, and, and uh, who are you, he asked. And so I told him my name, which is later on I thought, hmm, maybe I should have said, I'm Danny Red. <laughs> uh, but so I pulled out my little constitution and read how that we, as American citizens, have the right to a solemn assembly. A solemn assembly. And to make that assembly solemn, you can choose however you want to make it a, a solemn. You can say the Pledge of Allegiance. You can have 30 seconds of silence. I chose to lead in prayer. Thought I'd solemnize this assembly by leading in prayer. And so I did. Well, within the next hour, I was down at the courthouse and Judge Eileen O'Neill's courthouse and you know, standing before her, and she began to tell me what you could do and what you couldn't do. And they had their lawyer out there, and he said, well, Pastor Golden, he says, what makes you want to get out in the middle of the street and pray anyway? And I said, well, I said, uh, he says, don't you have a church? I thought, I know where this is going. I said, yes, I do. Well, what makes you think you want, can't you pray in your church? I said, yes, absolutely. He says, why don't you just pray in your church? I said, I do. I said, but I encourage our people to pray wherever. I said, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. So I said, I'm out here and I'm supposed to be praying without ceasing. I ought to obey God rather than you or Judge Arlene O'Neill, your injunction. Whoa. And I said, you know, I tell our people to pray and to witness wherever they go when we go out the doors. I said, we don't just keep it. In. Well, you just need to keep it inside your door. I said, no, we're not going to keep it inside our door. So the judge said, well, let me, she interrupted. Well, just let me. She says, so you knew that I had an injunction? I said, well, I didn't know exactly when I got there, but I found out before I prayed. So you went ahead and prayed anyway? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, so are you planning on doing this again? I said, yes, I, th I, I am coming up. I'm formulating a plan as we speak. 
I said, I'll be there in the morning at 8 o'clock if you'd like to join us. Well, you know, here we go. Anyway, we're not, if, if it's only good for in here, the devil doesn't care about what we do in here. When we go out those doors, that's when we need to be. That's who we are as believers. If it don't work out there, why are we messing around? Why are we wasting time? Why don't we go fishing or do something else on Sunday morning? There's a lot of other things to do, right? I could be mowing my grass if, I had, if my tractor was working. But you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Poor old tractor. The devil was trying to hit me, and, he, and I ducked, and he hit the tractor. <laughs> but that's okay, you know. I've been enjoying the break. The grass is getting nice and high, and you know. So I just go out there and walk around praising God, you know. Devil, you missed. <laughs> you missed. <laughs> You know, there's plenty of stuff to do, right? And there's plenty of other people out there doing it. <laughs> you know, when we, we used to have Sunday night services, and I've been in church on Sunday nights since I was like 17 years old. And so when we decided not to have church on Sunday night, we were moving it to Saturday night. And so um, and the Lord began to speak to me about that. And so I was like having a hard time with this, so I bounced it off of some of our elders, and they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, you don't have to be so excited about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, 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 then we should move it. And so anyway, the first Sunday night that we didn't have service, Sandy said, well, let's go over to the mall. I said, okay. So we're going over to the mall, and I'm just looking around like, look at all these people out here. And we get into the mall, there's people everywhere. And I'm like, what are these people doing? They should be in church. You know, that's why, that's why our attendance falls off on Sunday night. And it was, then it was funny because we met some people that we knew and they started trying to explain why they weren't in church. I said, well, we ain't having church anyway on Sunday night. Hey, how about that? You know, give me a high five. And, but, but if we would walk out of here and, and decide we're going to have church on the street today, we'd probably be blown away of how many people are just doing their thing. And I would wouldn't be surprised if half of them weren't believers, right? And what's the difference? They haven't stepped over the line, just doing what they want to do, when they want to do it. But you know, when you step over the line, you know, that's a place of commitment. This line, that's a place of commitment there. When you step over that thing, then you're saying, hey, I'm all in. You know, they have this point of no return in flight. And when the aircraft is taken off, when it accelerates so much to get the, the lift for the flight, then it's, too, it's accelerating too much. It's going too fast to shut it down because there's no more runway left to, then to decelerate. So you're, and a lot of times the pilot will say, we're committed, you know, or basically what he's saying is, you know, this is it. We got to go with it. We got, we're going up somehow, a little bit, maybe a little bit and then down, but we're going up because we, we're at the point of no return. The same way with landing, the takeoff and landing is always the most crucial time. I got to fly a lot, and Sandy worked for you for Continental, and, and people get nervous. You know, some places you come down, the wind's blowing, and they're like, oh, that, you know, that, I don't know. What do you think of that landing? I says, man, I, I said, you know, any, any landing you can walk away from is a good landing, right? And they're like, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. But that's a dangerous time because when you're coming down and you're decelerating, and when you're, they're trying to shut that thing down, you get to a certain point where there's a point of no return, then you're going into the ditch. You know, if you hadn't got it shut down by then, you're going into the ditch. We flew into Cyprus one time. Cyprus is an island. And they told us before we, we landed, they said, you know, this will be a, short, a very short landing, so make sure your seatbelts are tightened and everything. I mean, when they hit that thing, it was like, Boom! and then they were reversing the engine and stopping. I mean, we were just like sliding forward. I thought, my goodness. They weren't kidding. This was a short landing. Then I heard a story later. I thought might have applied that. The guy said when they got out, the pilot says, "Man, that was the shortest runway I've ever seen." And the other, the copilot says, "Yeah, but look how wide it is." 
<laughs> Come down sideways. Y'all get that later on, just ask me. <laughs> but the point of no return, and you know, really, when you cross that line, that's what it ought to be. It's, it's like, you know what? I'm not going back. When you commit to the Lord, do you turn around and go back? You've all been to retreats and camps and various times, you know, when the Lord's really moving and wanting you to make a commitment, it's like, yes, that's right. I'm all in. Yeah. You know, and here it is. And it's this big thing. And so, yeah, that's right. Here I am, Lord. And so then you start later on, you know, after that's kind of wears out and you got to get towards home, you think, yeah, let's see, where is that line back there? You know, I wonder how, maybe I'll just stay close to that line and see what I can do back here because then we get divided interest because we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. There was a time in our life where we had been in ministry, had been traveling ministry, singing and preaching. Then we went into uh, as associate pastors, and then we came down here from 81 to 83, which was first tour of duty. It wasn't so pleasant. And um, the Lord took us back, and he said, you know, just, things weren't ready yet. Not everything was ready yet. I mean, I was ready, and so, but he, I was kind of went into a holding pattern. We went back to Tulsa, and it was like the Lord did something with us. He took us out of ministry and put me back into a, a job, but it wasn't just a job, a Christian job, because even when I was working in, the, let's say, it, it, with a, a, a regular job, a, let's say a worldly job or whatever in, in the workforce, then moved over into a, a Christian construction company and then to my own company, and so, you know, I'd kind of been removed away from that environment for a while. You know what I'm talking about? That work environment, you know, where, you know, everybody doing their own thing. And so that had happened, and here we were, and been in ministry, and, and the Lord said, you know what, I think you just need another little dose to know what's, what's happening. How are you going to preach to people if you don't know what they're going through every day? I didn't realize that was what was going on, but he threw me back into a secular construction company, and I was wondering if anybody there was saved. I mean, it was It was crazy. You know, uh, I, I go on to the job, and they say, okay, well, we're going to get you a helper. And this guy walks on. He's about six foot six. He's got arm, forearms like Popeye. And that was back when they had the, um, which football team was that? They tried that new league, and uh, he was a walk-on for the Oklahoma Outlaws. They had a team there, and this guy was massive. And so about 10 o'clock, break time comes along. He says, now he's a, he pulls out this joint and says, you want some of this? I go, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, okay. And man, they had the music rock and all this other stuff. And this is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I thought was the, the, the buckle on the Bible belt, you know. And I thought everybody in Tulsa was saved. Then I began to wonder, is anybody saved? And I just kind of, I mean, I'm going around like, what's going on? What's, where's all the Christians? And I mean, I was like, I saw it for some, I couldn't find any, you know. So about three days of this, I started to get a little bit frustrated, you know. So I backed my car up them doors open, had reinforced that stereo a little bit, and I started playing some Christian music. Then every once in a while, somebody walked by, and they're kind of like going, are you a Christian? <laughs> yeah, I'm a Christian. How about you? <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of like that, you know, it was like, and you get to thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? And then, you know, working about 70 hours a week and, and thinking about, oh, man, Wednesday night, I'm so tired, barely getting home, I need a shower, and I'm thinking, well, it should be easy just to kick back and just lay back on Wednesday night. And the Lord said, mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? You can't make it? What's wrong with you? Well, you a wimp now or something? I thought you were fully committed. You're going to back off now just because you've got some different kind of job? Oh, it's easy to come whenever that's all you're thinking about, right? 
But see, I wasn't leading singing. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't, hope, I wasn't an usher. I wasn't nothing. We're just going to that church and working 70, 80 hours a week. God said, you can't make it when you don't have to do something. Now, you know, that's what's tough. If you've got to work in the nursery, oh, you've got to show up because you've got to work in the nursery. If you're supposed to usher, you've got you to show up because you've got to usher. The usher's usher, and the deacon's deacon. And the, you know, and so, you know, when you have to do something, how many you know what I'm talking about? Am I just talking to myself? When you have to do something, you, you're committed, and you, you do it. But when you don't have to do anything, isn't it so hard <laughs> to try to get there? It is. And it's like the Lord says, so... So if you're not doing nothing, you can't show up. And boy, I just said, I had to, you know, ask the Lord to forgive me. And because I had gone into that pastor's office and I told him that I was making the commitment of my family and myself that we were going to be there. And I said, we're going to be here. If you need something, you let me know. We're here. And so he says, so what about that commitment thing? You stepped over the line, but you looking back? Cause now you're looking back because you're tired. You're looking back because you want to do this, you want to do that. And I said, no, Lord. And so here we go. And you know what? There's always the best services, the ones that it's so hard to get to. Always the best services. Always the best services. The Lord let us step back into that to see, are you really committed? Because sometimes, like I say, it's not so, if you've got to do something, that's not so big a deal. Then, you know, you, you show up. But can we come saying, you know what? Lord, I'm committed to you. You know, that's why we come. You set aside some time on Sunday morning to be with him. You know, we've got all this other time for ourselves and everything else that, you know, demanding of us, but can we just maybe take, what is two hours? What's the percentage of that compared to how, I don't even know how many hours are in a week anymore. Too many. <laughs> you know, but of that, of all of those, I mean, what percentage is that? You know, if we were going on a tithe basis, it wouldn't even be 10%. Can we even just give 10% of our time to God? Well, if we did, what would be a whole lot more, you know, uh, be at the church a whole lot more often, right? What I'm saying is, we talk about commitment, but we're backing up. Most of the time we're backing up, or we're looking over our shoulder like Jesus. We're, we're grabbing hold of the plow and saying, oh, yes, you know, and I surrender all, I surrender all. We used to sing that song, and all the time we're singing it. As soon as we get through singing it, then we're thinking about what we need to do, what I need to do, what my commitment is. You know, this stepping over the line, like I said, it's, full, it's a full commitment. It's, um, it's where words are not enough, you know? No matter what you say. It's where we either put up or we shut up. It's, it's, um, it's where war is being waged. You know, it's the real thing. It, really, that's what, to me, that's what makes an exciting Christian life. It really is. When you step over the line, when you're fully committed, then you really begin to see how exciting these things are. When... You step over the line, it's a, it's a battle line. And it's where you're all in. There's no turning back. You've passed that point of no return, you know. And that's the way that you need to think about it. You know, when Sandy and I got married, we stood up there and we took our vows of affection and made our commitment to each other. And when we made those vows before God, I knew enough that I wanted God in our marriage. You know, over 50% of marriages fail. Why? Because people just... They have, a tradition, they have a ceremony and just do what they need to do and what, just because that's what you do, right? But that's not really like saying, God, we need you in this marriage. We need you to help me and help her. This is going to be a, if it's really going to be a union of one where God takes and makes you one, that's a miracle. It has to happen. And two people have to look for that, have to expect it and make that a faith declaration. If not, you're still two individuals. 
Many of you sitting in here, you've had a failed marriage, and maybe you can look back and say, you know, we just never did jive. We never, you didn't ever become one. And when we did that, and I made that declaration of faith, I was making it to Sandy, but I was making it to God, and I said, you know what? Basically, what I was saying is, I'm all in, for better or for worse. And we've been richer, and we've been poorer. <laughs> For sickness and health and all those things. When I said that, it mean, I was stepping over the line and said, you know what? I'm all in. And I didn't, there's no turning back. Oh, is there times that you're maybe tempted to think about, you know, looking back and thinking, well, maybe, you know, I should do such and such. Yeah. I remember some of the first, first years when we were married, within those first three years, you know, we hardly ever saw each other. We're, that's how we made so much money. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, and, you know, and maybe you have this little fight or something, and something goes on, and you think, well, fine, who you think you are? And then maybe you need to think about, wait, some of this is that, that merging together. It's kind of knocking that part off till we become one. We've been married uh, 44 years now, and that's the way it kind of works is because you let that be one. Amen. But there's no turning back. There's no turning back. There's no second thought of this thing. You know, with the Lord, when we step in and say, I'm all in, it's with that point of, look, I'm looking forward now. I'm not thinking about back here. I'm not thinking about what I've lost. When the Lord called us into full-time ministry, like I said, we left money. We didn't go into ministry for money. There's a lot of people, I guess, going into ministry for money, but we, didn't, we left money to go in. We left houses. We left things. We left those things that we had accumulated and everything to go into ministry. And when we did, I didn't think about them. I really didn't. I died to those things, and I stepped on into it and said, okay, Lord, what's next? When he called us to uproot and move our entire family, four young children, and not with a promise of nothing down to Texas, we picked up and went. There was really no promise of, of any kind of salary or anything like that. You know, they asked me, well, you know, we can't really promise you anything other than a place to minister. That's good enough for me. God's my source anyway. And they were right. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't offer anything else other than a place to minister. But that's okay. But God has taken care of us through every bit of it. And you know what? Those are more exciting times of when I saw God provide than when I provided. I forget all the times of when I provided. But when God did it, that's what built my faith. And that's what helped me to take another step forward. Not looking back, but looking forward. People said, if you had it to do all over again, would you do it? I said, absolutely. I'm a little more resolved. I don't know if, you know, you know, as you get more experience, you think about, boy, that was really crazy. <laughs> That's why God calls us when we're young. I'm just like, okay, I'm all in this thing. And, you know, we just don't know any better. But, hey, we're still in it, right? In it to win it, as they say. All in, 100%. You know, there's, you look through the Bible, there's people that have stepped over the line. Just read Hebrews chapter 11. You know, as it starts to talk about all these great People of faith, you know, Noah, it says when uh, he was warned about things that he hadn't even seen yet. There's a, there's a flood coming. What's a flood? <laughs> it never been a flood, you know. Build this boat. What's a boat? <laughs> you know, just do it. And so he says, okay, we're going to build a boat. Well, what's a boat? I don't know, but we're building it. God said, build it. We're going to build it. And so he did for what, 120 years? Is that, I haven't taught on that for a while. Abraham gets called. Abraham, come on. I, I'm going to take you to a place I'm going to show you. Where are we going, Lord? I'll show you when we get there. Okay. He didn't even know where he was going. But he said, I'm all in this thing. I'm stepping over. And then when he was asked to, to uh, sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that the promise of God was going to come through, he said, come on, boy, get that wood. We're going up on the mountain. Where's the sacrifice, Daddy? God will provide it. God will provide it. And that's where we get that Jehovah Jireh that was the first time it showed up. And so Abraham's got his, the knife raised. And Isaac's laying there saying, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. And man, about the time, oh, Abraham's going to bring that down, a ram in the bush. 
You know, he looks over and sees a ram in the bush. God provided. Now, if he'd have been a real good charismatic, he'd have said, I don't care about no ram in the bush. God said, kill the boy. Well, kill the boy. You know, it's like, you know, hey, wait a minute. You know, God has the right to change his plan. You know, just be obedient. But be obedient. Instant in season and out of season. And Isaac's going, whoo. But Abraham, he just said, I'm in this thing. 100%. I'm stepping into it. You want to kill the boy? We're going to kill the boy because you said to kill him. And you know what? You raise him up because he had faith that if he knew that, that God said that his promise was going to come through Isaac. And if he offered him up as a sacrifice, then God would raise him up. He knew that because God gave him that promise. Wow. Deborah, what a woman. God called her. She believed God. She said, I'm in this thing 100%. What a man could hold a candle to what God was doing through her. And she brought Israel out. David, wow. When he stepped out on that battlefield, he said, you know what? You coming down, big foot, <laughs> big mouth and big foot. But basically what it was is like, you know what? He was either going to bring that giant down there or the giant was going to bring him down. An interesting thing, if you look back in that, that the story there, I don't know if I've ever brought this out, but in First Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, where it talks about where they were assembled there, and it says they pitched, that the Philistines had pitched their tents in the camp, or had made camp there by Ephes Damin. And the word Ephes Damin means boundary of blood. They'd drawn a line. They said, you, you come down here, it's a bloodline right here. It means you're going to die. You're dying here today, Israel. Everybody in Israel's dying. And David says he steps. You know what he did? He stepped over the line. He said, I'll show you a bloodline. Yeah. And he says, great. Basically, he was saying, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Draw a line, I'll step over, and I'll be 100% committed to what God's going to do. People, that's, that's who, who God needs today. Yeah. You know who the Moses are today? You and me, the Davids, the Abrahams, the Deborahs. That's who God has for today. Gideon. <laughs> Doesn't seem like he crossed much of a line, but you know what? He was in there, and he was grinding out a little bit. He was at least um, reaping his harvest. Everybody else was hiding in caves. Because the Midianites had come in and stole their harvest. You know, well, they were all hiding uh, from the enemy in their, uh, they built these little, uh, they call them strongholds in their caves and back in the dens of the mountain. And they were hiding out there. But Gideon, he was uh, really, in a sense, he was breaking through. And see, the, the angel of the Lord knew that. He says, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who, me? <laughs> well, yeah, you're the only one out here, basically. Everybody else is hiding. It didn't seem like much, and, and Gideon didn't think much of himself, but yet God thought a lot about him. You know why? Because Gideon had already stepped over the line because the Midianites said, if you do that, we're going to kill you. And so he stepped over the line. He said, you know what? I, I got to do this. And as we read that text there in, in Judges chapter 6, you know, that's where we find Gideon. He's threshing that wheat, and, and it really means that he harvested what he'd sown. A lot of times, you know, we, we sow things that I don't know if we really get a chance to harvest what we've sown. And, you know, we're, we're doing this for the Lord and we're investing our lives and, and we're investing our, our time and our ministry in these things for God. And, and there comes a time when we, get to, we should be able to harvest those things. God wants us to go out and reap the harvest. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. He says, come on, go out into the harvest. Go out into the harvest. Oh, no, I'm, we're afraid to go out in the harvest. Many nights will get us. We can't, we can't go out there. So they come through and they take everything and destroy everything. That's what the devil's doing. He's wreaking havoc upon the, the people of God today because the people, people of God are, are hiding in their little caves of, of self-sufficiency and, and what I want to do. Remember, they weren't obeying God. They were obeying themselves. Don't you think every year they said, well, you know, this year it's going to be different. Well, when the Midianites come this year, boy, they're going to have another think coming. 
I'll show them what's up. Oh, yeah, where'd they come down? We, oh, well, let's get back to our cave. You know? And so we talk about in church, well, yeah, well, when the devil comes knocking at my door, man, I'm going to tell you what. Yeah, it's going to be different this time. And here he comes knocking. Oh, man, let me get back over here. Or we run back to take care of ourselves or whatever it is, you know? And time and time again, the Israelites, they would, you know, they'd have a, a difficult time. And it says, and again, Israel disobeyed God. And so here came the enemy. And then they'd have enough of it and they would repent. And that's the way it is in, in most Christians' life. When it gets so bad, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, we'll repent. And then it's like, but not very long. And then we're back to doing what we want to do again. We're back to serving us instead of serving God. We show up every once in a while, and, and again, we make a contribution, but we sure don't want no commitment. That's a self-sacrifice. I don't know about that. Hmm. It's because they weren't committed. The children of Israel weren't committed at all, and so they were wreaking havoc. You know, sin gets into our life, and, and sometimes we think, well, oh, I don't have sin in my life. In John's gospel there, he says... Uh, if you say you have no sin, you lie and deceive yourself because there's sin in all of us. And most of the sin that's, that's most prevalent that's so deceptive is that iniquity, which is doing my will, which is, in a sense, rebellious to God. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, so it's evil. And rebellion or my will or is iniquity. And before God, that's, uh, it's evil and it's just repulsive to him. But yet we walk in it anyway. And we think a lot of times that we're doing something good. Well, that's like the ones that came and they're standing before the Lord at judgment. They said, Lord, Lord, we've cast out devils in thy name. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You weren't ever mine. You're just making statements. You thought you were, but what you were doing in my name was really what you decided to do. You were really doing what you want to do and you're just saying it was in my name. Wow. I'm thinking... When is casting out devils in the name of Jesus iniquity? When you decide it, and it's going to be what you're going to do, and it's your ministry, and Holy Spirit doesn't tell you to do it, and you're just doing it because everybody else is doing it? Hello. Getting real quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. The problem is that they had forsaken what they called the rock <laughs> through Achan's sin back there with when... Uh, Joshua and them came over and, and then, uh, you know, they had, they had had a great victory at Jericho and then they ended up going through and, and uh, said, don't take any of these things that, you know, these belong to God. You know, they'd be offered up to him. And, but Achan decided, well, I, that, you know, they ain't going to miss a little bit of this gold. And he began to take us some of the things that are the devoted things to God. Well, that's kind of the same way we do, you know. Well, we're supposed to be given of our time and our talent, our tithe, our, our finances to God. And, like, you know, God's got enough. I need this for me because I'm having this problem. Well, you're always going to have problems. But when are you going to start trusting God? Amen? You're always going to have problems. But the thing is, is that we serve God no matter what the problem is. Because that's our faith. That's our faith that says, God, you know what? In the midst of problems, I'm going to look to you first. And I'm going to honor you. And when we do that, then God says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm going to honor them. And boy, he does. I've never, like David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed out begging bread. We've been declared to be righteous. Now we're called to live righteous. We're called to live like we have stepped over the line. We're called to live like we are children of God. Amen. Well, 
there in Judges chapter 6, we've got to move on here. It says, again, everybody say again. And you know, it's the way it is in our life. Again, here we are, you know, we find ourselves kind of doing our own thing. We've drifted away from God. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So, you know, here's God's people and uh, his chosen Israel. And uh, instead of um, really subduing nations and tearing down strongholds like they were called to do, they were being overwhelmed. Why? Because they weren't obedient to God. God's called us to, to subdue nations, subdue nations and, and to break down strongholds and to advance. And he says that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But you know what? If we're not you know, seeking him, if we're not honoring him, if we're not following his word, we won't even be discerning what weapon we need to, do to use when. We'll end up not subduing, but we'll end up being subdued. Hello. Somebody ought to just uh, shout amen every once in a while. And so what were they doing? They were hiding from the enemy, like I said a while ago. And the reason why? Because they had sin in their lives, and, and they still had, you know, those desires for themselves in their, in their lives. You say, well, Pastor, that's so hard. Absolutely, it's hard. That's why we need to have the Holy Spirit in our life every day to help us to, to count ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. It's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We need the Holy Spirit in our life to help us to live by the Spirit, you know, and, and to follow after him. A lot of times we would just rather back up. We'd rather slack off. We'd rather, you know, just let up, sneak, you know, sneak off somewhere and, and um, hide out just like they were doing in their caves and everything, you know. And then we'd come clean with God and, and admit that we, we've uh, been stubborn and selfish and foolish and just become clean with him. But what happened in all that midst of the time about those that were the harvest, those that are dying and going to hell? What happened to all of them? What happened to our, those that are near to us and dear to us that needed a witness from us? But here we are doing our own thing, hiding out in our own, uh, you know, our own self-centeredness over here. And here's the harvest going to hell. People, I want to tell you something. It's serious business today. You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the children of Israel, they wouldn't dream about uh, and talk about, you know, uh, doing wrong or disobeying God, but they did. I'm sure that they'd even dream about the harvest and talk about the harvest, but yet then they didn't get a chance. To, they didn't go into the harvest. They were too afraid of staying back. You know, I tell you what, it seems to be pretty close because we talk about the harvest, we talk about souls, and then it's like we get out and one little slap or one little threat from the devil and we jump back or something happened, you know, and holds us back instead of being overcomers, you know, more than conquerors, meaning that I conquer this and I still got enough conqueror in me to go ahead and conquer something else. That's what more than a conqueror is, that we just let that one thing set us back. It ought to, we ought to take care of it and launch forward. But when it came time, they weren't willing to step over the line. What about us today? I think God's sending us this message to help us to step over the line. You know, to, to come out of our hiding places. Sometimes we hide. I mean, this is our hiding place. Sometimes. You know, to, he's calling us, I, I believe, to leave the comfort of our caves and our self-preservation. I got to do this for me. You know, if I don't do this, well, whatever, you know. I mean, whatever it applies to. Well, I can't give to the Lord because I got this to take care of. Okay. Oh, I can't do that now because I got to do this, 
you know. And here we go. And everything that maybe you would do for the Lord, you can't because of this. There will always be a this when you're supposed to be here. Amen. You know, it's time to engage the enemy. It's time to leave the comfort of our caves, like I said a while ago. And uh, it's time to get out of those... Um, Little, what they call them, little shelters is what it said. And, and it's time to get out onto the field. It's time to get out there and harvest, no matter what the devil says. He comes running up to steal your harvest when you're out there. You're, whatever, then that's when you rebuke the devil. He, you know, we're not, sometimes people get onto this thing about spiritual warfare, and then they spend the rest of their life just engaged, trying to, looking around, trying to find, a, uh, you know, a, another devil to fight. Wait a minute, he didn't call us to go out just fighting devils. He called us to go out and win the lost, develop the saved. And if a devil gets in the way and tries to hinder us from that, then all power has been given to us to rebuke him and tell him to get out of here in Jesus' name because we've got a harvest to, 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 to reap here. I've seen so many people fall by the wayside. Why? Because they get so attached over here by doing this, you know, and it's, it's all spiritual warfare or it's all praise, you know, or it's all this. And then we get so spiritual that we can't get out here and walk among them. One of the reasons we started riding motorcycles, I looked around and thought, you know, I don't have any unsaved friends. I really don't know anybody that's unsaved. So, Hey, I'll get me a Harley and go down by the Banditos. I bet I can find somebody not saved there. Sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, found some. But you know what? Hey, that's pretty cool. You know what? Because there's a thrill that happens when you're out there in the harvest. Even when the devil's telling you no or all this stuff he's going to do, that's when you say, ah, oh, nah, you got to talk to Jesus. I got to go out and reap this harvest. You know what? God's got your back. When you're doing what he's called you to do, he's got your back. First time we were down at the Long Star Rally, Chris Roberts was he, we stepped over the the strand there. There was a, a thing set up over here where he wanted to check on some pipes, and so we stepped over there to check on it. And so as we're getting ready to to go back across the street, we were with the Christian Motorcycles Association down there, CMA, and we're getting back ready to go back across the street. Here comes all these motorcycles, just I mean four wide, and they're coming by, and we're standing. I'm going to have any room to go back and hit right here, and they're like right here, and everyone come by and say, "Hey, preacher, hey, preacher." Hey, preacher. Most of them was bandit. Hey, preacher. Boy, Chris, I could see him kind of looking over at me, and I'm, hey, yeah, how you doing? Hey, biggin. Hey, what? You know, all these nicknames that I learned from Charlie. And, uh, <laughs> and so they're all hollering. So as it kind of clear, he says, you know all them people? I go, well, not really, but they know me. <laughs> and you know what? As I'm thinking, you know what? If they know me, they're watching me. And you know why that I got along so good with them? Because they knew that I lived what I taught. It didn't bother me. When you get out and you're out and you're in the field, you're out going and to reap the harvest, you be a child of God. You be who God's called you to be. You stand up. You be Christ. That's why Jesus could walk in to, you know, uh, whoever's house and talk to them. Because they knew who he was and he didn't change for anybody. It was time we'd step over the line and we'd be a child of God in church, out of church, in our marriage, in our family, at work. People ought to know who you are. And when they got a problem, they'll come up to you, you know, and they might be sneaking around about it and you don't have to, you know, embarrass them. But they'll say, man, will you pray for me? Absolutely. And they begin to pour out their heart. Why? Because they know that you know how to reach God, touch God. Now, you want to live an exciting Christian life. It's not all about this right here. Because, you know, if you're watching this right here, you're going to get distracted. Well, you know, them lights are getting too dim. Oh, them lights are too bright. Or I don't know about this going on up here, and I can't hear this, or it's too loud, or it's not loud enough, it's too cold, it's too hot. It's, you know what I'm saying? That's what happens in church. 
Isn't that right? Some of you been in church for a while. That's what happens in church. And so we start to get, why? Because it's, we think it's all right here, but it's not all right here. You know, if you can do a better job, stand up and volunteer, make a commitment, you do it. <laughs> you run the lie or something, you know. But it's out there. It's being a child of God out there. That's where it needs to be seen. Not like that lawyer told me, well, you go in your own church and you pray there. I said, yeah, I pray there and I'm going to pray here too. That's what we got to do, people. I jotted down here just under the direction of the Holy Spirit. How long can we sit back and hide out while thousands of souls are being swept into an eternal hell? And that's the whole point of this message. While the harvest was ripe, and Jesus said the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Well, where were all the harvesters? They were hiding in the caves. And so that's the message today. That's what I get out of that first part. Because, you know, usually I skip over those first six verses. I want to get down to the thing about, you know, God saying, hey, mighty man of valor, and, and getting to who me? And you know, mighty man of valor, and then him going out there and breaking the pots and blowing the trumpets and all that good stuff, right? We just kind of passed by those first six verses, and boy, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me and said, wait a minute. Here's where we are right here. How long are you going to hide out in the caves while thousands of souls are being swept into eternal hell? Because you know what? We're going to have to give an answer to that. We have to give an account for that. When we stand before the Lord, every church has to come up and give an account for what that church did. When I have to give an account as a pastor and what I've done, and then we, I present you to the Lord as his people, then you know what he's going to ask? What would you do with what I gave you? How come you didn't go into the harvest? The harvest was great. I put you there to go into harvest. I didn't put you there to suck air and grow old. I didn't put you there to think you're having a good time or, or not having a good time. I didn't put you there to complain or say, oh, isn't this great? I put you there to win the lost and develop the saved. I put you there to not hide back in the caves when the enemy made a threat against you. Who do you think I am? Does the Lord talk like that? He talks to me like that. We're hiding out because the enemy's so bad. He says, who am I? You know? Who am I? Who do you think I am? That's why we need to see him. He's the author and the, and the finisher of our faith. When David walked out on that battlefield and they were saying, you know, they kept saying, the army of Israel, the army of Saul, the army of Israel. He came out and said, I'm with the army of God, by the way. And the army of God ain't backing up. We crossed the line and you're going down today. There's a big difference. It's not in our own strength. It's in his strength. And God's saying, how long can we be at rest in our caves of, of self-preservation and comfort and convenience? Because it's not convenient to serve the Lord. It's not comfortable all the time to serve the Lord. You know, how long are you going to be in those, you know, those caves of comfort, convenience, and self-preservation while our loved ones are being destroyed by the enemies of lust and perversion and, and drug addiction and alcohol and greed and hello? What's going on? What's going on around you? Do you see what's happening around you? Do you see people that are just being destroyed? Their lives are falling apart, and maybe you thought they had a happy marriage, and all of a sudden, what's up? What happened? Y'all, I thought y'all were just so meant for each other, and all of a sudden, boom. 20 years or something, like 20 years is gone because of what? And well, I don't know. We just don't get along anymore. They grew apart when the kids were growing up instead of growing close, or whatever. 
So we're going to just, okay, we're going to back, back. You know, I don't, I don't want to get involved. You know, that's going to take too much effort. You know, I'll probably have to meet with them at Starbucks and talk with them about something. I want to watch so-and-so on, I want to watch The Voice or I want to watch whatever. I don't, I don't know. I like to watch The Voice, so that's why I used. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we built our little caves back over here that we can crawl into and, and be comfortable and we don't have to fight the enemy. We don't have to face the enemy. Let him just destroy the harvest. Because we're back here in our cave. Whenever he leaves, then we'll come back out. And we'll play. Oh, yes, God, we're your children. And God's saying, I am sick of that. You know what he said to the layout of the sea in church? I would that you hot or cold. You just lukewarm. You make me sick. I vomit you out of my mouth. Wow, I don't want to hear the Lord saying those words to me or to you. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Hey, I'm about to make you a ruler over many things. You didn't deny my name. You stepped over the line. He told that Philadelphia church, he said, because you kept the word of my patience, because you kept my word and, and it, it took some endurance to keep it, because you did not deny my name, he said, I'm gonna, hey, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial. That's coming up on the whole world. That seven-year tribulation, I'm going to take you all out of it because you've been faithful. That's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. Well, I need to shut down. But I want us to pray. So let's just bow our heads this morning. I don't know where you are this morning. If you're not saved, if you're not sure about eternity, I want to tell you something that um, there's no gray area. You're either saved or you're not saved. You say, wow, that's pretty firm. Well, I'd rather tell you like it is than for you not misunderstand it and then end up thinking that you might be secure, that you might be saved, and then find out that you're not. Because it's not a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care how you, who your grandmama is. I don't care who your daddy is. Until you know Jesus, you've received him as your Lord and Savior. Here's basically what happened. You're going to hell. It's appointed unto man once to die, it says in Hebrews. And after this, the judgment. It might not be anybody that's sitting in this room, but it might be somebody that's listening to this through the podcast or something like that through the internet. It's the same Without Christ, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father yet through me. Boy, today they're saying, oh, there's all kinds of ways to God. There's many paths to God. There's just many paths. No, there's not. Jesus said, there's only one way to him. No man comes to the Father yet through me. So if you haven't received Jesus, then, you know, you're, you're deceived. And you're building on a, the wrong foundation. So today, you need to make that decision. You need to step over the line in your life, in your spiritual life. So I want to ask you today, do you know for sure that you're a child of God? That you've received Jesus? That he, was the, he is the Son of God? That he came to this earth? He stepped over the line. He left heaven. He was all in. He was fully committed. And he gave his life to pay for the price of your sin. And by receiving him, God says, I, I forgive all of sin, and now I welcome you as my child. Do you know you're a child of God today? If not, just raise your hand wherever you are. If you're not sure that you're a Christian today, 
just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. But you say, you know, I don't know if I've really stepped over the line. Maybe you stepped over the line one time and then you, you found yourself back on the other side of the line and maybe rather than being in the harvest field, you resting up in the cave, kind of hanging out, waiting for things to kind of settle down. You know, the devil says as long as it stays in the four walls of the church, as long as nobody gets saved or healed or delivered, as long as there aren't any marriages restored or broken homes mended, as long as no one's filled with the Holy Spirit or as the old timers say, the Holy Ghost, and as long as there's no conviction of sin, you know, as long as our prayers are still, uh, you know, they keep their prayers selfish and shallow, I don't mind. Sometimes we look around and say, why is that church doing so good? Well, maybe there's no commitment there. The devil don't mind if it kind of stays there. But I believe that there's a, a different breed of Christian that uh, is rising up. I believe that we can't sit idly by while the devil wreaks havoc in the lives of our loved ones and our, in our country, in our communities, in our churches. I think it's time that we step over the line. Uh, you know, I think it's time for us to take back our inheritance and take back our health. Take back our children and our family. Take back our churches and our schools. I think it's time we take back our communities and our country. I think we need to we need the presence of, of God. We need the glory of God in our midst. And we don't need to be sitting back in our caves of comfort and hiding out, you know, there. Because God, He says, He's not part of that. He's not a part of that. You know, we need the power. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us direction. You know, when Moses came off of the mountain, we all give me about another 10 minutes. Will that be okay? When Moses came off of the mountain, he'd been up there seeking God. He had the tablets in his hand. Some of you know the story. He came down, and what did he see? They're all jumping around, celebrating, dancing before a golden calf, right? Moses got mad, threw the tablets down. Probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> But it says he went out, he took that calf, he ground it up, made it into dust, made him eat the dust of that thing. Then he, he basically drew a line in the sand. He said, everybody that's for me, come on up. All the Levites came forward. And he said, because of that, he says, wherever you'll serve the Lord, there was a certain blessing on him. Because they were the only ones that all came forward. I think I got this scripture here someplace. I want you to see what Moses did. After he demanded that separation, he said then, he said, um, yeah, Exodus 32, 27. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You've been set apart to the Lord today for you were against your own sons and brothers and, uh, has, uh, and he has blessed you this day. Wow. You ever read that before? Kind of skip over that sometimes. You know, like, whoa, God made him do that? Yeah. 
Jesus said, unless you hate your father and your mother and your brothers. Really, Jesus? That word hate doesn't really mean hate the way we think of it. He means you don't put them at the same level. Unless you, if you don't, if you don't put me above these in your life, if you don't put me above the things in your life, you really can't be my disciple. I'm talking about discipleship here. If you want to just go about your own business, you say, I'm a child of God. Yeah, you are. That's fine. I'm talking about some disciples here. I'm talking about some Alamo people. I'm talking about some people that say, I'm in it to win it. I'm here to do what I call to do. Not to sit back in some little cave of comfort someplace and wait the time out. Hopefully that things will go by and I'll get out of here. You might find yourself waiting through that seven-year tribulation like Jesus said he was going to take the Philadelphia church out of because they were the ones that stepped over the line. They were all in. Hello. People were living in some... I believe we're living in those days of where we can't afford to be sitting back. We've got to be in there. And we, Is it tough? Yeah. Sometimes the first time you take us, you know, you start to go out and do, do something for Jesus, boy, the devil slaps you back down. You know what? Now we'll see what you're made out of. Pastor, you ever been slapped down? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, but you've got to be like Rocky. You just got to keep getting up. You've got to keep getting up. If you get up one more time, then you're knocked down. You win. I found that out. See, sometimes we don't like that. I'm talking about some discipleship today. I'm talking about stepping over the line. It's your choice. And there's no in-between. It's, uh, you know, it's all, it's all or nothing. So think about this today. We're going to pray. And I want, you to, I want you to search yourself today. See where you are. Let's bow our heads today. And let me ask you these questions. I believe that are directed by the Holy Spirit. Are you confronting the enemy and bringing in the harvest? Or are you hiding out in the caves of self-indulgence, the strongholds of fear and doubt and self-preservation holding you back? If so, think about this. How long will you sit back? How long will you hide out while thousands of souls are being swept into the, the devil's hell? How long Will you be at rest in your caves of self-sufficiency and self-centeredness of comfort and convenience? Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is urging us today to step over the line, to, to take the Lord's side, to stand with Jesus, to stand for Jesus, to stand against sin and darkness, to come out from among them and be separate. And be holy unto God. We had these guys put a line up here. So I'm going to pray. And for those of you that you say, you know what, today I'm going to step over the line. I want to pray for you especially. Because it's not an easy thing. And it might not be for you. Well, that's fine. That's, that's between you and God. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying, step over the line. Take the Lord's side. Stand with the Lord. And I know that we're living in perilous times today. And I know that... It's getting hard to really see the lines anymore. It's like, you know, we're, I don't even know where these lines are drawn anymore. Um, 
I know that even in church, you know, the church in many cases has been guilty of blurring the lines. And, uh, but the Bible's clear. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. There's really no more middle ground. And so when you cross over this line, you're not leaving any place for middle, middle ground. You know, Jesus said the fields are white. They're ready for harvest. And literally countless thousands of people are perishing at the hands of the enemy because so many people are just living weak, shallow, selfish, stubborn, carnal lives. But it's time to step over the line. Step over the line. It's time to get out of the caves and time to break those strongholds and step over the line. You know, don't just sit back and hide out while, again, souls are being lost. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, and his brother and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Again, Jesus is talking about discipleship here. Not, not salvation, but he's talking about discipleship. And he's basically saying, you know, you've got to put me first. Put me first. Even at your own life, put me first. That's what Jesus did. He wouldn't tell us to do anything more than what he was willing to do. But it means just simply that word hate means to love less. You still love him, but you love him those things less than what you love him. So I want us to pray today. Father, today we make this decision. We step over the line. We step out of our comfort zone. We step out of that realm of, of maybe where we consider ourselves, where we're looking back. We find ourselves looking back. We feel the pull of what you're calling us to do ahead of us, but yet we find ourselves looking back and thinking about what, what, what's more comfortable, what's easier, what's more desirous for us. But Father, we've got to die to ourselves. When we step over the line, we, we can count ourselves to be dead indeed. And we die to ourselves. It's no longer I that lives, as Paul says, but, but Christ that lives in me. And so that's what we're saying today, Lord, that it's you that's living in us. And so we're stepping over the line. We're making a commitment to you. Lead us into harvest field. Lead us to people that need to be saved. Lead us to people that need to be prayed for. Help us to be able to, to have that time. Maybe it's just an extra five minutes, ten minutes. It might be an hour. It might be two hours. It might be a day that, that we need to spend with somebody to help them. To come out of their situation, their torment, their oppressiveness that the enemy is, is hitting on them and, and hitting them hard. Lord, help us to be your hand extended. Help us to be the, the mouth that speaks your word and comfort to those people. And help us, our feet to be swift to go in and help to rescue those that are perishing. Father, let, our, let your desire be our desire. Now, Father, I pray for these that have made this commitment today as they've stepped over this line. I know it makes the devil mad. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't mind as long as we sit back and sit in our comfort zone. He doesn't mind that thing. But when we get up and we make a, a motion towards you, when we make a commitment, he gets nervous. But I bind every assignment that he has sent in the name of Jesus. I reverse it in the name of Jesus. Father, I, I lose strength, perseverance. Father, upon each one of us that are stepping forward to do you, I thank you that you encompass us round about. You are our deliverer. Father, that we are moving forward because we're not backing up. Father, we're going to take new ground for you. We're going to see, uh, take uh, the harvest for you. 
win the lost, those that are lost. Father, help us to just be there to pray with them. And we're not going to listen to the devil when the devil tells us, well, you don't know what you ought to do. You're not good at this. You don't have this. No, we got Jesus. And so, Lord, we got you. And so we're just going to be there to listen and then just say, man, have you prayed to receive Jesus? That's all it takes. Have you prayed to receive Jesus? Then let's do that. Father, just give us that boldness to come out of the caves of comfort zone and those hiding places to come out there. I hear you saying, you mighty man of valor, when we don't feel like that we are that type of person, you continue to speak that into Gideon until he was out there with just that small remnant force, 300 people that took on thousands. It's always the remnant. And so, Father, I thank you today for these that are, are saying, we're in it. We're in it to win it. We're going to win the loss. We're going to develop the same. Father, let your blessings rest upon them right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, just take the hand of the person next to you this morning. And I want us to pray one for another. Praise God. Father, right now, we just pray for the person on our right hand that you strengthen and encourage them, undergird them in the difficult times. Give them courage. Give them valor right now in the name of Jesus. And, Father, that they would realize that they're not alone in this, that they would reach out to others uh, in this body to help sustain and support and strengthen them, Father. Father, that, that uh, we realize that, that we are part of a body of believers that are going forward. If the enemy hits one of them, then we're going to rally around, just like Nehemiah did on the wall, that they had a sword in one hand and had a trowel in the other, and he had the trumpeter there with him. And, and if there was a, a breach in the wall or if the wall was being hit on this side, it would sound the alarm, and everybody would rally around that area and help there. Lord, let us do that when the enemy is hitting and so, Lord, I, and now we pray for the person on our left hand that you would undergird them and strengthen them and raise them up. Father, just uh, encourage them and make them mighty in you, Father. This is our prayer today, Father. And Father, I, I pray that as we walk out these doors that we realize that now we're walking into the field of labor. Now this is where it starts. It all starts now, and so we're ready. We're, we're ready to go out and to be your uh, sons and daughters, your children, your ambassadors. We're ready to go out and be who you called us to be. So, Father, that's what we do today. That's what we do today. We go forth right now in your mighty name, and we thank you for it. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.